You know when you start having a conversation with someone who you just really enjoy their company, time escapes from you, and you cover some fantastic ground. That's exactly what happened today when I was talking with today's guest. She is the very best presenter, trainer, pitch trainer in Australia. She has been doing it for years and Every time I talk to her, I learn something new and she saves some of the best cracking things that you can do, three things you can do straight away to be a better presenter to the very end, of course. Now, it sounds like it's a clickbait headline. It's not. It's actually true. Enjoy this episode of the Get More Success Show. Let's go and have a listen. Welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his it's showtime. 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 And now, here is your host, Warwick Mary. Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show. Now, today I am thrilled, delighted, and somewhat overjoyed at having a good friend and amazing presenter on the call with me. She runs her own business, has given the same workshop hundreds, if not thousands of times, and gets better every single time. Please welcome the master mistress presenter, Michelle Bowden. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Warwick. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's my honour to be here with you because you're the master presenter, not oh, me. Oh, not quite. Hey, how many times have you delivered the workshop? 893. Like, that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm hoping you, you, know, you should get to know it pretty soon then, yeah? <laughs> You know, some people want to do something different every day of their life, and yeah. I'm, I'm not that person. I love it that it's the same thing over and over, and I can just get better and better and better at it. Well, they do say that repetition does breed success. So the question I have for you is, how do you define success in your business and your life? What, what are some of the things that you strive for to achieve success? I think success for me is feeling at the end of the day that everything went well, <laughs> that I can go to sleep, sleep deeply because everybody's happy around me and it's it's living the dream. It's living the pig's picnic. <laughs> the pig's picnic. I have not heard that one before. Living the pig's picnic. So I want to look out the window and I want to see the swimming pool and the palm trees. When I'm talking to the client, I want to see that they actually like my company. <laughs> When I'm with my friends, I want to make them laugh. That's to me. And when I'm with my family, I, I want to make sure we're all loving each other, which is not easy. So that's that to me, that is success. Yeah, fantastic. And so with that success, now you've talked about you want to get to the end of the day and have everything that's gone really well. What happens when it doesn't? Because we all have those days, you know, and as a presenter, you know that there's going to be days the power goes out, the evacuation alarm goes off, the someone falls asleep at the back of the class because they've had an all-nighter doing something else. Or, you know, there's something's <laughs> going to happen. What happens when that disrupts your calm? I'd just like to correct you that there's no chance anyone could ever be sleeping in one of my events. So thanks for the suggestion, but no way. <laughs> <laughs> um, the rest of it could happen though. Yeah. So I think for me, it's about gratitude, isn't it? That there's always something that's going well in life yeah. and that is success. So I'm very clear in my life that every single day I have a, an app in my phone. I just use the notes app in my phone and I write down seven things I'm grateful for um, every single day. When we were all traveling, I used to do it when I got on a plane. It's just as a routine. It's just I was in the zone. I'd sit on the plane and I'd click my seatbelt on and then I'd go straight to that that telephone and 
type in what I was grateful for. But we also have a really great little activity that we do around the dinner table at night. Um, I have three daughters, a husband, and the two of the daughters have boyfriends. So there's seven of us often around the dinner table. And we have an exercise where we go around and you've got to say one thing you're happy about, one thing you're sad about, one thing you're proud of that you did today that made you proud of yourself. And uh, I've made the kids do that since they were very little. So that's a good way of finishing off the day, even if something was a bit crap just ending on a positive note yeah that's a great recovery and so because now that your daughters are teenagers and older are, are they are they still there for dinner every night like do you do that every night we're a mega sporting family in our family so we for most of our life we haven't really had every night around the dinner table because they're all they're training and and out and about with their teams but we try very hard to collect at night as much yeah. as we can and sometimes we even have a boyfriend there without the daughter who is the girlfriend. <laughs> so that's a good thing. I love, I love that I've created that in the family. That's superb. You're the preferred parent. It's just like, oh, why go to my parents? I'll go to yours. They're much better. <laughs> they that's like su- my cooking better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Which superb. is saying something because I'm an awful cook. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's the company as well, I'm sure. <laughs> But that's, I mean, that speaks volumes to you as a parent and as a, as a person that you've built this kind of environment for your family. How does what you do in your business impact on your family and, and help you maintain those strong values? I think it's very important that I teach presentation skills, but within that I specialise in persuasive presenting. And in order to be a persuasive presenter, the number one thing is rapport. So I've spent two over two decades really learning what does it actually mean to build deep unconscious rapport with your stakeholder? What does it actually mean to get in properly and into someone's shoes and care about their needs, their wants, their, their issues? Uh, because if you don't know that stuff as a presenter, then you can't be successful in your pitch. You won't be a very good presenter on a stage. So I, I have have. I have transferred those skills over to the kids, I think. Um, even just today in the car, one of my daughters who's 15 in year 10 at school was telling me someone made it, uh, was bullying her yesterday about my car. <laughs> I've got a yellow Honda Jazz. I think it's a fantastic car. <laughs> why, why wouldn't you want a bright yellow Honda Jazz? Easy to see in traffic. <laughs> I feel happy every time I look at my car. She's got a number plate, DQT, so we call her Dot. And she's a terrific car. I I absolutely love this car. I wouldn't change it for a Tesla or anything. You know, I love this car. Um, And and Annabelle was being bullied. Your your mum's got a Povo car. And (laughs) I said to her, my gut reaction was to be very dysfunctional. (laughs) And to say to her, did you tell them that your mother is an internationally published best-selling author? (laughs) Did you tell her that your mother is the number one presentation skills trainer in the state? (laughs) And that it's got nothing to do with the car. Success has nothing to do with the car. Um, and Annabelle just said, well, mum, I just felt sorry for her because if she's got to pick on me about your car to make herself feel better, then she's probably a sad person. And she's only 15. So I feel glad that may, maybe some of those conversations we've had around the dinner table yeah. and some of the less... They've, they've, those kids have heard me rehearsing my speeches, rehearsing my training since they were born. You know, I've been practising in the car. They've learned a lot of those things. They sing some of the songs that make the audience sing. You know, they, they do know the lessons. Um, in Influence, we say you cannot not influence. 
you're always influencing even if you don't mean to. And uh, one of the ways you influence is through modeling. And there you go. That's, that's, that's a perfect example. Yeah, so it won't be long now until you'll be able to go, right, oh, that's it, I'm not running this course anymore. And here's my substitute and bring in, you know, one of the three of your daughters or and or their boyfriends because they will have heard it so much, seen it so much. It's just mini me, off you go. They can do it. You know, because your, your podcast is about success, it is interesting that I, I tried that, Warwick. I tried that. I said to Maddie, who works for, for me in the business, we have a family business, so my husband, my daughter and me and two of the other kids aren't involved really, um, but I said to Maddie, you know, why don't you go to uni and then my business? Because it's a, it's a, a fantastic, I love my job. It's a fantastic thing. You're helping people every day. You know, you earn good money. You can live the lifestyle you want. It's, it's a terrific business to take. And she says, no, mum, that's your goal, not mine. <laughs> so that was, I tried, but I don't think I'm going to be able to hand the business down. Yeah, yeah. And it's good to know that, you know, you can, um, uh, uh, you don't inherit other people's goals. That's a great, a great observation from her to be able to go. Actually, that's not for me. Not for that's me. Gold. She wants to cure genetic illnesses. So go forth and do that. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'll be proud. <laughs> yeah, superb. Hey, so let's talk a bit more about you and your business and your you know eight hundred and fifty seven uh, iterations of your 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 training session. <laughs> Yeah. But you you don't just train people how to speak because we've all been bored to death with PowerPoint. We've had people read slides to us and have, you know, eight size font on screens that no one can read. But you do way more than that, isn't it? Like you're you're not teaching people how to do better PowerPoint presentations. You're really engendering this this influence and positioning and selling. And so tell me what is it what are the power pieces that you help people take on board? Well, there are three. I, I take a strategic approach to the teaching of presentation skills, and I think that this is uh, a, this is, has to be the winning formula. I, I say that there are three strategic phases to a good presentation, a persuasive message in business. And when I say presentation, I don't just mean the sort of presenting you do, you know, where you've got an audience and often there's a stage and a lectern and a PowerPoint. Presenting to me is any form of communication, one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many, where your objective is to change the audience's thinking and behaviour. So it could be an email, a phone call, an informal conversation at the in the coffee shop you know it can be any kind of communication scenario to me is a presentation and I think we should take three use three phases or think about three phases when we're doing that phase one is analysis and that's where you work out what does your audience need to hear from you as well as what do you want to achieve and I teach a five-step model that helps you get right into your audience in your stakeholders shoes so that they understand you understand exactly what it is you want to achieve The second phase is the design phase, and there are two levels to that. There's a foundational model called format, which is international best practice for crafting a message. And then over the top of that, there are all these things we call linguistic patterns. And a linguistic pattern is just essentially the way you combine your words in your sentences. And when you do them cleverly, it makes you really persuasive in the way that you speak or write. And there are actually 13 of them. And I put them together in a model. Um, So this is part of why I am successful in the business. Uh, Format is international best practice, and it was created by someone else, by Dr. Bernice McCarthy in America. And people love format, but sometimes they get confused about how to use it. So I thought to myself, what can I create that sits over the top of format to make it easier for you to use best practice better? And I created this 13-step model where you put all these linguistics over the top. And when, when it's very easy to follow, lots of templates and things that help you. And when you understand how to do that, it does make you very persuasive in the way that you're pitching your idea. 
so, so give me an example of a sentence that's had that model applied to it, uh, like maybe a before and after, so I can see yep. what's a rubbish sentence and what's a really good one. Okay, so there, um, the linguistics are sentences in and of themselves, but as an example, there's a linguistic pattern for building rapport. And then there's one for motivating the audience to listen. And then there's one for managing objections that your audience might be thinking. So let's say you're a manager in an organization and you are asking for some more budget to implement. Let's say you want to create a new page in the website that's going to make it easier for your staff to do something in the business. Um, what most of us do is we just go in and ask. <laughs> we say to our boss, boss, can I create a web page? Show me the money. <laughs> can I create a web page? I need $50,000 or whatever it is. Um, so we've asked without first building the rapport. We've asked without thinking about what would motivate this stakeholder to say yes to me. And mm -hmm. we've asked without thinking about what are all the possible objections that this boss is going to have when we ask them for the 50,000 and the web page. So um, the analysis process allows you to work out what are some of those objections they might be thinking. And then the linguistics are the way you say what you would say. So if I was wanting to do, do this just off the cuff, then I'd say to my boss, uh, you know that we've had a lot of inquiries from staff about leave entitlements and payroll. And it's taking a lot of time for us to answer those calls and it means that we're not getting our real job done. If we created a web page that outlined all of the answers to those questions, we may find that people go to that page rather than call us and take up our time. Please can I have $50,000 to create the web page? So what that technique is called pacing and leading, and it's where you get a yes, a yes, a yes, and then you ask for the thing you want, and that's the fourth yes. Um, so this is an old technique. It was invented in the 1960s, but people still unbelievably, you know, I'm presenting all the time. When we're not in an isolation, I'm running that course every week, and I have done for 21 years, and I've really never met someone in all of the years I've worked who's learned that before, or if they have, they've learned it but not understood how to do it. So that's just one example of a linguistic. Then um, if you want to motivate the audience around that, you'd say, when we create this website, it will reduce the amount of hours we spend on the phone answering inquiries. We can maintain our, our, uh, the sense in the business that we are the experts in this area and we can improve people's knowledge so that they can manage their leave and their payroll correctly. So the, the linguistic pattern for motivating an audience is to tell them what will they reduce what will they maintain and what will they improve? And that linguistic is based on a personality filter that states that when people are motivated, they're either going to be motivated by the carrot or the stick. They're either going to move towards reward or away from pain. So that's why you say reduce, maintain, improve. Hmm. So that's just Fantastic. a couple of quick examples. Yeah, no, that's great. And it, and it makes it makes sense. And as you, you, you're so right. Like people will come in and go, oh, we need a web page because people are being a pain and this will just make it easy for us. Mm. And a manager's not going to say yes to that, but the mapping out using the linguistics you've said would make it so much easier. And then you know what happens, Warwick, in my experience, most people think that they should wing their communication because they don't want to over-script it. They don't want to over-rehearse it because they're worried about losing, losing their authenticity. My absolute number one goal with presenting is make a serious decision to take your communication seriously. If you wing it, it's highly likely that you won't say it right, that you won't have thought about the other person's needs and you'll therefore get a no. 
And if the person says no to you, you're letting yourself down, you're letting your business down, and you're probably letting your cause down. And it probably also means that you're going to have to have seven or eight other meetings to get that idea across the table. Uh, to me, that is just a gigantic nonsense. What a waste of time. Don't have seven meetings to get your customer to, or your stakeholder to say yes to you. Have one meeting and do it properly. So don't wing it. Make a serious decision today to take your communication seriously. And then you'll have the success that you're looking for with your ideas and your causes. So what is that balance? Like, is there a danger of over-rehearsing something? So mm. how do you... How do you go from making the decision, you know what, I can't wing this anymore because I'm just not getting anywhere. I need to be committed and take it seriously mm. to, you know, obviously there's a fear out there of over-rehearsing. So what is the yeah. right amount of work you need to do to be a yeah. better communicator? Do you know what? I think you cannot over-rehearse. I honestly believe that you've just got to keep going. And when you feel that you've rehearsed too much and it's inauthentic or it's robotic, that's a sign to me that you haven't rehearsed enough. There's a sweet spot that you hit when you rehearse it so much that it just becomes normal behaviour for you. Your arms move the way you want them to. Your voice does what it's meant to. The words come out the way they should. And when you hit that smooth, sweet spot, as you well know, because you're amazing yourself, what happens when you hit that sweet spot is you actually end up going off script anyway and you end up ad-libbing and playing with the audience and enjoying the two-way of the conversation and you're way more present and way more in the moment that if you under-rehearse, you've got to be all caught up in your own head wondering what do I say next and do I sound authentic and is my voice shaking and is my heart thumping and is my face red and am I sweating too much and all those nervous responses that we get are because we haven't rehearsed enough so we haven't hit the sweet spot so we can't be fully others focused in the moment and when we're not fully present and others focused it's likely we are going to break rapport by mistake you know you cannot not influence so even when you're trying really hard if you haven't tried hard enough to rehearse it you're actually probably going to break rapport you're going to say a stupid word that repels your stakeholder or you're going to do something weird. You know, I was talking to a person on Zoom the other day and they kept doing this eye-shutting thing while they were talking because they needed to think and so they were shutting their eyes to think and get the inspiration of what came next. And every time they shut their eyes, I checked my phone. <laughs> They're going to sleep on you is what must have been what it's it felt It's not a winning like. strategy, you know, shutting yeah, your yeah. eyes while you're talking to someone. You've got to learn to not do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's going to be right. Whether you're pitching for something that you're trying to pitch an idea whether you're selling to a client or even if you're having a a one-on-one -on -one session with someone on your team or who's being under a performance review you don't want that information you're sharing to be that first time it comes out of your mouth so there's so much that you need to rehearse for yeah i, lo I love so. the concept of not rehearsing until you get it right, but rehearsing enough until you can't get it wrong. Yeah, that's a great saying. Great speakers rehearse till they can't get it wrong. I absolutely believe that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, also think about this in terms of corporate training. So it's obvious that a salesperson really should be practicing their pitch before they go to a sales pitch. Although, having said that, the amount of times I get asked to come in and work with pitch teams who weren't thinking of doing a dress rehearsal before the actual tender response presentation is horrendous to me. I mean, what are you thinking? Are you serious? Do you really want to win this work? And the amount of money you're talking about also is like in the... 500 million was the last one I did. 500 million. And they weren't going to practice. 
Other industries are very good and they'll have someone from the sales team, someone from the ops team, someone from the logistics team, someone from the customer experience team, and then someone like me in their marketing is probably in there too, sometimes even learning and development. We all sit on a panel and we, we, you know, we grimace at them on the panel and we look as cranky and rude as we can and we, let, we make them nervous and we make them pitch to us and then we ask hard questions to force them to think about the answers. Um, that's what practice for a good pitch looks like. But then, then you go to the other end of the, of, the, of the spectrum where you've got corporate trainers who think that it's okay to play PowerPoint karaoke with their audience. They put up the slide that's got, as you said earlier, 500 words at eight point font. They say, I know you can't read this, but I'm gonna show you anyway. <laughs> and then they proceed to read it to you. Oh my uh, God, shut up, don't do it. <laughs> it's, it's a challenge. So let's, let's talk more about you and your business. Obviously you've, you love what you do, you've been doing it for years, you're highly sought after. What led you down this path? At what stage did you go, I know, I'm going to tell people, because you're highly educated. You've got masters in education. You've got a whole lot of stuff. You, you're a certified speaking professional. Like You're really good at what you do. What made you choose to go down this path? Thank you for asking. So um, I was a ballet dancer. And I'll say that again, ballet, not belly. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes, of course, that comes across in the presentation skills, the ballet dancing. The ballet dancing. <laughs> I was in the, in the Canberra Youth Ballet Company and I was very excited about wanting to be a ballet dancer. And, and this is in the olden days, remember. So I, I was a, um, very good. I could dance on point, on my point shoes. And I strained my Achilles tendon to the point where it was about to snap. And in the olden days, they couldn't stitch it back together if it snapped and you ended up in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. So it was all very dramatic. The people in the, in the medical profession said to me, you cannot ever dance again. That was your last performance of your life. And if you do, you will snap it and you'll end up in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. So that was incredibly devastating to me and kind of unconsciously must have decided, okay, well, I've got to find another way to get up on a stage because that's, that's clearly not going to happen for me anymore. So the good thing was I could start eating again. <laughs> <laughs> so I did start doing that, as you can see. Well, you can't see because of the podcast. <laughs> anyway, listeners, take my word for it. I started eating again. <laughs> that's right. You haven't, you haven't got to my stage of nutritional overachieving yet, but, you know. <laughs> I think you're perfect in every way. Warwick. Thank you very much. You're so kind. <laughs> okay, so you decided you still had to be on stage. Yeah, so I, I did. I, I, um, I must have unconsciously thought that I needed to be up on the stage um, and I ended up in the corporate world and before long I ended up in the corporate training job and then it wasn't long after that that I realised, yes, this is going to be it. This is, I'm good at this. Um, I was always very good at public speaking as a kid at school I was very good at debating and it, oh, look I was probably 22 years old when I was um, headhunted by a top presentation skills trainer and who ran his own business and he said to me I'd like you to run the Sydney branch of my business so at a very young age, only 22, I had that opportunity. I actually turned it down because I wouldn't have had a clue at 22 how to run someone's business. And I, I, so I didn't take up the offer. But imagine at 22 being offered that. Wow. I, I actually put a proposal. I was working for Lendlease, the construction company, and I 
I put a proposal to the bosses and said, I think I want to be a trainer. Um, I don't know how to be one, but I think I'd be good at it because I was actually teaching people how to use Microsoft Word on their computers and I seemed to be good at it. So I said, I'd like you to put together a training department and make me the trainer and you'll have to hire me a boss because I haven't got a clue how to do this, but I'm going to be very good at it. So you should, you should listen to me. And you know what? They did. <laughs> they actually set up a training department. They made me the trainer and they brought me in a boss um, and I worked for her for a, a bit of time and then off I went. I worked in the corporate world for about three years and then ended up going into a presentation skills training company and then into an amazing company called Impact Human Performance Technologies and they nurtured me too and then I was ready to go. When I had my first child, I was ready to go out on my own. Fantastic. And uh, what a great leap of faith. It's like, okay, I'll go and have a kid and then run my own business. Yeah, I know. I suppose if you fail, you can, you know, you can just going back into the workplace and get another job. But I was pretty lucky. I got AMP as my first client in the first week of running the business. And they put 20 oh, courses a- through my business in the first year. And that was the reason why I did the Masters of Education. Because when I got the job at Land Lease as a trainer, I really didn't know how to be a trainer. It was only, I was just doing what was intuitive. And I thought I'd better go and get some qualifications. But also I was so young, you know, mm. why would someone book a consultant that was 23 years old? Uh, I felt like I needed to, when I set up my own business, I was 28. And even then there were no women in business and there were really no young people. There were definitely, everyone was in their fifties. <laughs> so I thought, oh gosh, no one's ever going to book me. Even if I'm half their price, I'm, I'm going to go to university and keep studying. So I ended up doing three degrees just to try and boost up the quals in the background. Yeah. Wise move. It seems to have worked out very well for you. Yeah, I feel pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's next? Obviously, you know, the, the lockdowns had a bit of an impact on your business because most of what you do is or has been face to face. And I know you're doing a lot more stuff online now. But now that we're in Australia, we're slowly opening, opening up again. And you've got um, in the coming months some more of your face to face classes. What's next for you? Are you sticking with the tried and true and you know it works and you get rave reviews? Is that is that your plan? I would love to. I'm one of these people that does not want to pivot. I do not want to ever hear the word pivot again. And can I tell you, my wife uses it almost like a swear word. Yeah, She's yeah. like, oh, oh are pivot. we pivoting again? <laughs> yeah. uh, just make sure you're agile. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, um, look, I, I am running the virtual sessions and I, I don't love them as much. I understand that they're kind of a necessity at the moment and, and, the good, of course, the good thing about virtual sessions is that I am getting inquiries from all around the world now to help teams that would never have been able to access mm. my training except to buy a book or a video series or something like that. So, yes, it's expanded my reach across the globe. Um, the good news is when I'm pitching it, that most people can understand the benefit of the face-to-face. So at least my clients in Australia are saying, we'd rather have you live than have you virtually. If we have to do some virtual, we will. But really, we want to try and see if we can we can get back to the live work. So I'm very excited about that because that's where I get my most, my, my greatest joy is yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. really loving the people. You know, I'm a hugger. So I want to hug you. I can't hug you. I'm trying. I hugged a man virtually the other day. He was the CFO of a very posh company um, because he was talking about his boss being so mean to him. And so I sort of extended out my hug. And it's not the same getting a virtual hug as it is me really pulling you in and giving you a really good 
squeeze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's the, the physical contact is, uh, is what's been sorely missed. Mm. So <laughs> with, with your, um, uh, and we're going to have to wrap it up here because I could speak to you forever because I just <laughs> love chatting with you. People are probably listening going, oh, so what do I need to do to get better at presentation skills? So what's one or two things that anyone listening can do straight away to be just that little bit better at their presenting? Straight away, right now, realise that you have to make a serious decision to take your communication seriously and stop winging it. Think before you speak. Think before you walk into the meeting. Think before you log into the Zoom room. Think about what you're trying to achieve and what what are some of the objections or needs of your stakeholder. That's really, really important, step one. Step two is learn from somewhere how to structure a really good message that's got a good opening, a a tight middle and a nice close. Um, Always call an audience to action, even if it's an informal conversation, always. and a call to action is where you ask for something. So even if it's just to continue to support you in your role and thank them at the same time, that, that's good, that, that'll do. But always call your audience to action. And I suppose the other thing is just remember, it's not about you, it is about them. So uh, if, you, if you really get into your audience's shoes and connect with them in a way that works for them, then you won't be pushy, you won't be passive, You'll, you'll just pitch the message at the right level and you'll be more yeah. likely to get that yes quickly. What I really want you to do is reduce the number of meetings you're having. You know, these days, uh, in, it, five years ago or even five months ago, I, would, I used to say to people, stop having coffee. You're drinking too much coffee. You're not getting your stakeholder into the funnel. We're not going to get our outcomes here if we just keep drinking coffee and shooting the breeze. At, at every meeting, you've got to try and accelerate your, your stakeholder into that sales funnel and down. And if you're a manager of people, every time you catch up with your people, make sure you ask for something from them. Continue to support and inspire people in that way. Fantastic. Well, it would be wrong of me to not finish this without a call to action. So listeners, I want you to do something for me. I want you to go and find out a little bit more about what Michelle has to offer. Where can they find out more about you, Michelle? Uh, On my website, www.michellebowden.com.au. And there you'll find my book, my best-selling book. And you'll also find information about courses and free stuff too, all in the blog. It's all there. It's all free. Fabulous. Fantastic. michellebowden.com.au. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a whole lot of fun and joy chatting with you. You're seriously the best, Warwick. (laughs) You're so kind. Thank you so much for listening to the Get More Success Show. I've been your host, Warwick Merry. I look forward to your company next time. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Merry. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. Getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening and until next time, enjoy your success.